Yes, we are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It's called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toladano. John Wall doesn't need no introduction. It's an insider's look at the NBA and culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick of the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall, will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The Iron Rapport Podcast is sponsored by Greats Sneakers. Greats Footwear. Totally unique, low-key sneakers. Made in Brooklyn, New York, greats.com. You go to greats.com, you get 20% off if you put in the promo code RAP. R-A-P, that's RAP. I am known for my discomfort in my feet. I am known for my tender feet. I wear my greats, I feel good, and I look good. But more importantly, I feel good. Greats.com, go to greats.com, put in the promo code RAP. You get 20% off your purchase. It's the Iron Rapport Podcast. So I, I think every, collectively, I would love to give it up for Raging Bull. Yes, yes. Um, and the Crest Theater, thanks for uh, hosting us. Sincerely, what a beautiful movie theater in this day and age of, you know, watching movies on Apple TV and computers and phones. So what a, what a, what a beautiful movie theater. It feels, yes, it feels very traditional and, and uh, <clears throat> uh, you know, especially for a movie like this, which I didn't tell the people who had never seen the movie before that it was in black and white. But as you could tell, it was in black and white. So um, I can't wait to see uh, you know what some some of you guys uh, uh, have to say about the movie. Um, I know that uh, G Monetti. Yes. If you haven't, uh, so I know there's more people here. Uh, we're gonna give the impression to the the podcasting audience across the globe that there's like I don't know 765 people in here, <laughs> but there's really only 324. But we're going to make it sound like it's 760-something, so we're going to be extra loud and shit. So, like, the podcasting community out there is like, fuck, man, that sounded like a cool night at the Crest yeah. with Rappaport and Raging Bull. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Shit. Should have been here. So, um, so, so, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, guys. Calm down, calm down. Security. The fucking rapper pack is uh is in the building. In the so when was the last time you saw that movie? Two years ago. And what's your impression? Like, cause we, we, me and me and Gerald, and, and the interesting thing was watching with the audience is the, the the dilapidation. I said dilapidation of laughter throughout the movie because, like I said, you know, if you've seen the movie or maybe if you haven't seen the movie, the tension is so palpable that it, it makes it humorous. Uh, you know, De Niro's tension is so, until, until he, you know, he, he starts, you know, with the physical shit. But when it's just the accusatory thing, it's like funny and then it's over the line and then it's, you know, guerrilla show. Um, 
I want to ask you. Yes. Why this movie? What does this movie do for you? It's a good question, G. Monetti. See, that's why G. Monetti won 2015 Podcast Co-Host of the Year. I mean, that's... That's show. why you're the fucking Black Ed McMahon, and I'm actually, I don't know if you know this, I'm the white Arsenio Hall. Mm-hmm. That's how we get down. Miles, make sure when we're, when we're mixing this, that those laughs sound big mm-hmm. for the motherfuckers and feel like it's like old, like can laugh, like from like the sitcoms of the 70s, like just fake that shit, like Welcome Back Cotter style laughs, like <laughs> vibrant, canny, tinny laughs. Um, for me, you know, uh, this film... You know, when, when I watch it, and I've watched it so many times, for me, to answer your question, it is perfection, and it's artists who are working on all cylinders, and it's craft with determination, with charisma, um, all coming together. And when I say charisma, it's like, you know, you, you, you know you, it, 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 there's a charisma to even... Like Jake LaMotta, like there's a charisma to, you know, when he's approaching uh, Vicky in the beginning of the movie, before he goes dark, 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 he's charismatic. There's a charisma to the, to the style of the film. There's a charisma and there's a taste. Right. Like, you know, you, you, you see Martin Scorsese's taste, the taste in music, the taste in cinematography, the taste in clothing, like everything, is, like the car, everything, like that's all Martin Scorsese's imagination and Robert De Niro's imagination. And I just think it's, for me, it's like whoever your favorite, your favorite artist or athlete or, or singer is, it's like those guys, it's like Jordan in slow motion in his ver- on his very best day. Like mm-hmm. this, this is what this movie is to me. So, so that, that saying... What did it, what did I, did I, did I fuck a word up again, Paul? What, what word did I say wrong? Jordan on his best day. And then you, and because it's a movie, you could watch it again. And you're like, look at this shit. I mean, cause the camera work, the sound, everything about the movie's perfection. So it's like I said before, before the film started, I, 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 I forewarned the people like this isn't Cinderella. Right. It's not an easy movie to absorb. It's, 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 it's not even as easy as, as Goodfellas to absorb, and Goodfellas is not an easy movie to absorb, but this makes Goodfellas feel like PG-13. Like, this is fucking dark. Right. And right. you're seeing a guy's, like, just the pain and the desperation and, you know, just the... At the bottom, and then there's a tiny bit of, um, you know, redemption at the end. Tiny, tiny, tiny. And, you know, and I just, like, you know, the, 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 the influence of this movie is all over Boogie Nights. It's all over David O. Russell's work. It's all over... You know, Mo Better Blues and Jungle Fever and Spike Lee's work. I mean, the, the, the framing of the last scene when De Niro is in the, the mirror as fat, fat Jake LaMotta doing Marlon Brando is the exact same framing that uh, was at the, the last scene in uh, Boogie Nights when, when uh, uh, Mark Wahlberg took out his loaf. Mm. All loaves matter. All loaves do matter. You guys know the Iron Rapport podcast. All loaves really do matter. That's right. All loaves matter. Um, so that's why I chose Raging Bull. Um, I wanted to bring up a good friend of mine who actually just got to work with Martin Scorsese. I've never gotten to work with Martin Scorsese. And since I tried so hard to get him to do this podcast, I think like I went into like Rupert Pupkinville to him. He's like, yo, this guy's <laughs> fucking crazy. <laughs> How many times did Michael Rapport call today? To do what? I mean, imagine the conversation, Martin Scorsese, his assistant son. There's a podcast. Like, Martin Scorsese has no idea what a fucking podcast yeah. is. And I'm like, it's the I Am Rappaport podcast. You gotta talk to me, Martin Scorsese. <laughs> the, lady, the lady calls me back. His assistant, or like probably assistant to the assistant. I, I'm, like, I'm like at the third tier of anybody like who's, in, who's dealing with Martin Scorsese. And I'm like, listen, it's the 35th anniversary of Raging Bull. And the assistant goes, even Marty didn't know that. <laughs> like, Motherfucker. Well, okay, well, I, I just want him for five minutes because I wanted to use reverse psychology on him because I know if I said five minutes to Martin Scorsese, that's like 49 minutes because, you know, he won't stop talking. But um, that's Martin Scorsese humor. Am I right, Paul? He's, he's a talker, right? Paul? Hey, yeah. All right, so <laughs> my friend... Um, 
uh, who I worked with on True Romance. Did we meet on True Romance? Paul? We did? I love it when my actor friends get shy. Um, so, so my friend Paul Ben Victor, who's coming out in uh, the, the show Vinyl, who I, I, I didn't tell you that you were going to come to the screen and then come on stage because I could tell, like, you're like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, I thought you had special guests, motherfucker. And you. Yeah, He's and you. Special. So, Paul Ben Victor, come up here. I want to uh, pick your brain about Martin Scorsese. You can yeah. All right. So, sit here, Paul. So Paul Ben Victor, see so you like you like when I was over there like Paul Ben Victor, like who the fuck is that? And now you see him, he's like one of those guys like that fucking guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? He's like a that fucking guy actor, which is nothing wrong with being that fucking guy actor. Right? It's a good guy, it's a good guy to be. Ain't nothing wrong with it. It's a How many good movies guy have you been in, Paul Ben Victor? Literally, uh, seriously. I don't know. No, because I get asked that question. You've been in a lot of fucking movies. We met in true romance. We had a true romance. All right. You want to know our, our, our history, our resume? Yes. Right, you go. No, you go. Well, true romance. Then I did your little short called Bald Spot. Trouble Spot. I, was, I produced that. It's about it, bald it, guys. <laughs> it was the first one he called. Paul, don't feel bad, but you're going to be in the story. Stay on topic, Paul. Trouble Spot. Yes. And then we did Metro. Fuck, that's right. And in Metro... With I Eddie asked, Murphy. With Eddie Murphy. And Thomas Carter. Thomas Carter is a director who uh, started as an actor uh, on the show The White Shadow. Mm-hmm. Haywood. And, 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 and then while we were making the movie, when I was frustrated with Haywood, I was always like, can Coolidge come and direct? <laughs> Only the people that know The White Shadow can appreciate that joke, but thank you, thank you. We'll amp up that. You were great in Metro, by the way. That was Eddie Murphy. You were good. What was your impression of working with Eddie Murphy? Before we get to Scorsese. Well, I got a whole night that we did when he had a, when I had a, when he I came after him with a knife. Paul, that's a real knife. Paul's gonna use a real knife. Marty, Eddie, it's not a real knife. It's not a real knife. It was. It was. It was. It was. It was this was before the clumps came out. This was that mid-range time for Eddie. But out of all the people I've ever worked with, the most talented person. By far, mm-hmm. just on like talent, just speaking to him, listening to him talk. He's, we would do lines from Raging Bull. He knew, he would do the whole, ca- imagine watching Eddie Murphy do Pesci, De Niro, and Vicky. Does like he would do the whole fucking yeah. thing. Speaking Man. of which, Vicky was unbelievable. Kathy Moriarty. Mm-hmm. She was, un- Great. That was uh, tonight I saw her in a different light because I was just watching, I mean, talk about subtle and. As an actor, you know, we want to do very little. You try to do little. She was, like, beyond Brando. She was just so subtle and... and so beautiful. ...quiet and intense and beautiful and... Young. Oh, was her first thing. He plucked First her. thing, yeah. Right. She had never done anything. And then she She was explodes. like the Kim Kardashian of Raging Bull. But <laughs> <laughs> a bump. Boom, right off the fucking top. It's just... <laughs> boom. Whenever so, things go wrong, just fucking get them. The fucking Kardashian. And then doing Metro, I said to you, I'm going to do a play in New York. You, and they, you want to do it? Right. You said, are you, are you fucking doing it? I said, I'm doing it. Then I want to fucking do it. I said, all right. Send me, where's the script? I'll send you the script. Send me the fucking script. Maybe I'll do it. <laughs> you, you, you did I was that combative even when I wasn't being combative? I'm being a little intense. You were much more loving. Thank you. You did do those words. But we did the play. Then we went to New York and we did a play by Lyle Kessler called Robbers, who wrote a play called Orphans that was on Broadway last year with Alec Baldwin. And that I'm was about, the whole Shia LaBeouf, Alec Baldwin beef play. If anybody It's like, I heard of that, but I didn't go to the fucking play. Um, I'm doing his next his play, a new play. They got a part in there for me? At the studio. It's all. We made so much magic, we got canceled my... after a week. <laughs> was it a week? Mm-hmm. Two weeks. We did a play where I had to, I was naked. You got naked? Every, out of getting out of the bed, and my, every, my goal every night, and then I put my underwear on, and, 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 and I, I was, my biggest fear was to, like, you know when you put your underwear on, oh, that's and you right. trip? You sh- we showed your ass, right? I showed my ass, but I was like, I just didn't want to trip naked, like it would be, <laughs> you know, that, like your stomach, it's bad enough to do that in real life when you're putting on your underwear, but in, in a theater, with way more people than this. <laughs> it's wow. fucking horrible, because it screws up the momentum of the play. 
Like, people would be like, oh, shit. And we had a night where we cracked up laughing on stage. You made me laugh. I remember that. Because there was a, it's almost like tonight, there was a woman in the front row who was sleeping. Oh, that's what it was. We were doing a matinee. Oh Imagine God. you come out at a matinee. I've never done a play. I, I think I'm like, I think it's like, you know, like, like the, the prince of the city has come back to New York to do the play. And we go out, do the fucking lines right in the front row, and it's a matinee. And I'm like... I, I, it, I just couldn't imagine there was an old lady sleeping, sleeping. and the play Man. just started like I didn't even get a chance to bore her so I have my first entrance and I come on from off stage and I'm playing this Puerto Rican guy I go let's do lines remember well, you we, knew things we were bad lines. when Paul Ben Victor was playing the Puerto Rican guy <laughs> that's when we were fucked I'm Vince remember we know the lines I don't remember my lines I we remember my lines ready I'm Vince. People call me Vinny. It's an Italian name, but I'm Puerto Rican. This is how it is. See, I don't remember my... I, I remember the... Inf- well, what happened was I get on stage, and he's hiding half behind like a pillar, and, he, and he's going like this. Literally 300-something people in the theater. And he's, he's like... And the lady who I, it looked like my fucking grandma is asleep in the front row. And he starts laughing, but you're holding it in. It's that second grade in front of the teacher laughing, and I lost it. You were like... Uh, you know, I got on stage, you were all fucking holding it in. And I saw you laughing, and I just went, I'm Vince. <laughs> I just fucking. I ran and You had a whole stage. monologue, you, you just left. I left in the middle of the scene, I left. I never saw that before. No, toward the end of the scene, I left. And then there was a scene change, and it all fucked up. I haven't been invited to back to do a play since that, that night. You were very good. All right, so vinyl. You're doing vinyl with Martin Scorsese, HBO. Um. Oh, and then we did Shooter Ben Romeo. Which one? My movie. Oh, right. Didn't come out, but might. What other things? I'm just saying, there was a lot. A lot of meals, a lot, lot of dinners. A lot of, lot of All right, sushi. so tell me, so I asked you this. When you were working with Martin Scorsese, after, after being a fan for that many years, what, articulate that, what that experience is like. What was, what was the good, like, how? I'm a big you, fan, you, but you, when I told him I was working, he goes, all right, man, you got to have a question and like a follow-up question. And, and, and I want to know what he wear. I want to know his belt size. I want to know like how he, what he smells like. He, he went fucking nuts. I know. What his shoelaces. What I don't want to put this in the podcast. I'm already on third tier. Okay, well, there's the, an editor, right? No, no, I'm just fucking with you. No, I wanted to know everything. I wanted to know because, you know, the, the thing about Martin Scorsese, like he's one of the country's great artists. So imagine Pablo Picasso was still around making paintings. And you were there holding the fucking purple, blue, and yellow that day. When, that's what it's like. He's got it's good analogy. It's literally like if, it. if Van Gogh or Jimi Hendrix was making another record, you'd be like, you know, he's like a he's, backup singer. No, you're in the shit. Uh-huh. You're in the painting. Everything yeah. he, that's like what yeah. he's doing. He's like Sistine Chapeling that shit. Yeah. <laughs> so Which I wanted to know. What when you, you, you see it in this movie, you say like a painter. That's an you artist. You watch these frames and the timing and the, it's like a magic act. I was thinking about what you were saying about it. When it's you're beautiful. watching this film, right? It's so magnificent. There's the people standing there waiting. And like you said, the tension or the, and you don't, it's just so beyond real, you know, like. And let me ask you, you would know, is some of this stuff improvisational or was it all uh, from, from what I, I, I don't think a lot of it was improv on the set, from what I know. During rehearsal. And rehearsal then. and stuff like that. I know like the one scene, like if you win, you win. If you lose, a particularly um, tedious, that was kind of figured out on the day. But I think a lot of it was, you know, they had been working on this movie for two or three years. Wow. You know, and then and this is when they're like, you know, the fact that they were able to start, you know, the crazy thing is like when you see De Niro in jail, the the fat De Niro, the fat Jake LaMotta in jail, and you're like, holy shit, he, this is not a fat suit. Like, this is a fucking, this is Jake LaMotta, 60 pounds overweight. Yeah. Like, the fact that they were able to do a movie at that time, he gets in shape to box, they shut down production for six months. So he could gain. So he could gain... Wait, and then come back and finish the movie. That's like an art project. You could never do that now. Mm. You could never, they probably couldn't even do that. Only they could do that because, like, look what the outcome of this was. But, like, I mean, there's just so much, so much um, texture and layers to every, and the sound 
Forget the music, the score, which is beautiful, and forget the source music, like the Benny Goodman, all the, the sound they use for the punches and the sound they use for the violence within the house and the trembling, and it's just a fucking masterpiece. It is. Every it really is a masterpiece. Perfection, like you said. Why there's only 375 people at the 35th anniversary screening of Westwood is beyond me. I, I thought it was 666. I counted a lot more. It's more. It looks more, but it's yeah. really only like 396 I, people. I have standing room only in the back there. I'm yeah, well, we're, that's definitely standing room yeah. only. And, you know, and the firemen came to shut it down, but they're enthralled, so they're letting us keep it going because they're just... I, my my, my father, if he knew that I said dilapidated and enthralled in one evening in front of... He would fucking probably drop dead. He's like, what the fuck? How did... The fact that... Anyway, so give me the Scorsese shit. How did you feel? What was that like? What's, what, well, what we got? We're, we're not promoting vinyl, but that he's an HBO show that he, he directed, he's producing with Mick Jagger. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so what was, your, what was your impression of your days with Martin Scorsese? Well, it, he, you're in the King's Palace, you know, and he's like this... There's like 40,000 little uh, uh, interns, you know, like literally there's like 20... Every step you take, Marty, Marty's, Marty's coming down the street. Marty's coming down the street. Marty, Marty's getting out of the car. He's getting out of the car. Marty's not coming in. Marty's <laughs> when he got a little. He's got a cough. He'll be fifteen minutes late. He'll be fifteen minutes late. Marty. Every two seconds, you're hearing like nine people saying, whispering on these little things. Marty's, uh, he's not feeling very good today. He's going to be in about fifteen minutes late. He's about thirty, thirty-three minutes late now. I mean, every inch. And then, so we're just everybody wants to please him, you know. But then he gets there. I mean, the first day, I got really nervous because I, you know, I got out of the cab, and they said, Paul's getting out of the cab because he's walking to the front store. You know, everybody's, there's 9,000 little kids because they all want to work on the show, you know. He's getting into the elevator. I'm going up the elevator. Somebody, a new person out of the, hi, right this way. You know, there was five PAs before I got to the Just rehearsal. for you. Just getting out of the, yeah. In a beautiful hotel, and it's catered. This is for rehearsal. Shit. I get into the rehearsal space. And behind the door, I'm hearing this guffawing laughter, like I'm in this little waiting room, and they're in like a little breakfast, you know, hall. And he's laughing his fucking ass off. I said, who is it making him laugh like that? But he just laughs. He, he, loves, he loves being on the set. He works through the night. He does tons of takes. I, I really think does he's he really? happiest on set. I don't think he likes... You feel his exuberance. You, know, he's, still, you feel his passion. Yeah, he doesn't... He just loves being there. How many, how many years has he been doing right. this? He just gives little tiny perfection notes, you know. He gave me a note when he said, Paul, try to get in... Take a little pause right before that line. And I did, and something happened. But I wasn't getting it. I wasn't getting it. He gave me, like, did, like, five, six takes. Did to you start me, to feel a little like warm like and Like a piece hot. of shit. Like, oh <sighs> shit. Like, I, like I'm getting fired. I'm going to get replaced. I'm gonna, you know. But I finally did something he liked because he was in the back and I heard him laughing loud. So, How's everybody feeling? <laughs> I like that. I like that. I like that. Yo, all the people that support the podcast, uh, our guy Mike Morris, the shit that we, 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 I act like this is part of like, but I mean, I guess everybody's living in it. They make some of the great art and the, the stuff with the podcast. Um, some of those people are here, and, and you know, we truly appreciate it. I love doing the Iron Rappaport podcast, it's, it's so much fun. Absolutely. Bravo. It's fun shit. You got a wonderful TV director, Dave Rodriguez, is here tonight. Absolutely. And my sister's here, Claudia. Claudia's here? Claudia. What's going on? I got my man, Toby, Toby Morse. In the house. And I, who, who, who just saw Raging Bull for the first time tonight? Like, I would love to hear somebody, if anybody have a question or a thought or an idea or a concept or how, you know, because for me, while, while watching that movie, um, I forgot to say Dean, my man Dean Collins. Yeah, DC. Who played my son and looks like my son, but is not my son. That's my fucking guy right there. Huh? No, I know everyone's here, but I, I mean, what's, what, you want to start some shit, Dean? See, people know, they know. Um, I'm sorry, does anybody have any, like, the people that never saw the film before, ask a question. Paul will answer your, your, your question. By all means. How many people listen to your podcast? <clears throat> the most that have ever listened to it, we, 
I think it's like a hundred something thousand a week, man. Are you it's serious? Crazy, right? Yeah. About it, about it. Like a hundred fifty thousand is the most. I mean, you know, the podcast world. This is what I've learned about the podcast world in the last year. A guy like Bill Simmons or a guy like um, Adam Carolla or a guy like Mark Marin, the biggest of the biggest, four million fucking people will listen to those guys. Wow. And it's deserving. So it's just like, who would have ever thought that podcasting would be a forum? Like a radio station. Like a radio station. Full-on four radio million station. people. That's yeah. a lot of it's fucking more people. more than oh, yeah. a lot of radio stations that get two, three hundred thousand. In this day and age. So, I mean... You know, the podcast started, uh, you know, uh, me, me, myself, and, and I was enjoying talking into a microphone alone, but it's kind of uh, claustrophobic. It's just like, you know, you're by yourself, literally in a room, like with my dog, you know, and the dog's like, you know, tripping out because I'm like, you know, and he's like, you know, like looking. And then I was like, yo, Gerald, you got to come on the podcast with me because we've been talking shit. And I find Gerald to be one of the top three people in terms of funniness that I know that will consistently have me under a table. Thank you, my friend. Yeah, no problem. But, I mean, you're killing tonight, so everybody could totally understand why I thought that. Yes, that's you're right. fucking tearing it up, man. You're just helping me and holding it down. And my voice doesn't hurt. It's fine. I'll talk for an hour and a half. It's fucking cool, G. You're good at it. No, it's fine. Um, but uh, I was like, yo, G, come on the podcast. We'll talk about whatever. And this fucking guy was like a pig in shit, you know? Yeah. Just like he is tonight, just destroying. Just <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but, but he's had many, many, many strokes of, 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 of true brilliance during the podcast. And I'm always just like, my man, G Monetti. Doing G it Moody. up. Big time. And then the fans anointed him the Blackhead McMahon. And then, of course, they anointed me. The uh, Gringo Mandingo. I mean, it's just been on and on. Yeah. And now, most recently, towards the end of 2015, uh, we've actually uh, been, for going to 2016, they're calling us the interracial Abbott and Costello. It's just things yep. are fucking just... It gets better and better. It's just better and better. Steamroller. Casper Mattress is an award-winning mattress company that makes the most ridiculously relaxing, supportive mattresses sold directly to the consumers. Trust me, I sleep on one every night. The Casper mattress is available in six sizes and has a 10-year full warranty. Ten fucking years. It's made and stitched right here in the United States. Free two- to five-day shipping in the United States and Canada. And in New York City, you could get it the day of. Go to Casper.com and save $50 using the promo code Rappaport. R-A-P-A-P-O-R-T. Casper mattresses. We love them. Do you know that that's the first big film that Joe Pesci was in? Did, did, did you, did some people not know that going in tonight? How crazy is that, that that is his first performance? It was a small sort of independent, barely seen movie that he was in before that. And then you're starring opposite Robert De Niro yeah. and Martin Scorsese and in that an, part. Getting right. an Academy Award nomination. Academy Award, out of the, like, out of the box. He was, he was nominated for that role, yeah. Of course. He deserved it. <clears throat> um, CIM Rapport Stereo Podcast coming live and direct. I want to take questions. Toby Morris, co- come up to the mic or speak this, talk just so the people at home, because, again, uh, those who are missing out on this night... It's a fucking packed house. So Toby Morris, lead singer of H2O. Yeah. Good friend of the I Am Rappaport podcast. More than that, one of the most genuinely good and positive people that you'll ever meet. So Toby Moore, that's for real. Like, I mean. He's that dude. Well, my question is not about this movie. You know what the question is going to be about. Oh, yeah. All right, let me just preface this. Toby is the absolute biggest True Romance fan. And his wife, Toby and his wife, are the absolute biggest True Romance fan. And sometimes they think, like, they're fucking Clarence in Alabama, and I'm actually Dick Ritchie. (laughs) It gets so fucking weird. I'm like, yo, my man, I'm not Dick Ritchie. You're not fucking Clarence. But I, he's, he's, his, you're, if you were doing a screening at the Crest Theater, you would definitely true romance all oh, yeah, Like, that's sure. his movie. For all sure. right, so ask Paul the question. Well, it's for both of you guys. Okay. So, you, um, true, romance, true romance was James Gandolfini's first movie ever. What's Correct? 
Yes. I, I believe, or he might have had a tiny part in something else, but I mean, it was, it was his first part. But it might have been his first part ever. There was a film, I might be speaking out of turn, but it, it was either a film that he did right after True Romance or right before True Romance, but it was certainly his first substantial part um, in, a, in a big movie. Do you guys have any memories of working with him on that movie? Did you work with him? Did yeah. you come across him? Um, well, That's a good question, yeah. Toby. Yeah, because I was part of, you know, when he, I'm in that the one big scene with uh, Walken and Hopper. Right. Yes. And he cuts. Yo, you're over. in one of the most iconic yeah. fucking scenes. Hey. I'm, right. I'm, I'm, I'm Luca. The eggplant scene. I'm Luca. I'm the, I'm the, the wop behind the couch. <laughs> so I forget that shit, that you're in that scene. I was in it. <laughs> And Gandolfini was in it. Gandolfini, you know. I, I'll tell you what my memory of him was, is that, number one, he, 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 and I say this, I mean, in the most loving, endearing way, he had a goon-like quality. To, he was big, big shoulders. Yeah. And at the time, you know, thin, big shoulders, big hands, and very quiet. Very quiet. So when you, you know, like that set was such a, 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 uh, I mean, being on that set, I know that I would show up when it wasn't... I was there the day when you did the stuff in the trailer. Because I wanted... Because everybody knew the, the, the scene in the trailer was going to be the fucking scene. So I showed up to the set that day. And you were on, you were on a set in the trailer. It wasn't a real set. Right. It, it wasn't shot on location. It was a set. Right. <laughs> and I just remember talking to Gandolfini. I got to know him a little bit more in uh, a, a film we did after. I was, like talking to him about that experience. Quiet... Low key and, and, and always was so worried about what he did. And the last time I saw uh, uh, Gandolfini, he told me he never saw a true romance. Wow. wow. That Man. bugged me out. He was like, I don't see a lot of my shit. And I was like, damn. And I heard, uh, 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 like, I sort of got to that point where I don't see my shit, but that's just because of the quality of my shit. I'm kidding. I'm fucking kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking the improv is down the street. The comedy stores up. I should just go there. Boom, yeah. boom, boom. Just get him. You kill it. You kill him, man. It's just not even. It's too easy. That's why I retired from comedy in the first place. It's too fucking easy. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm fucking kidding. Fill in the laugh, Miles. That I'm talking to Miles, my sound guy. He's Asian. His name's Miles Davis. Give it up for Miles Davis. Yeah, Miles. The only Asian sound guy in California. It's unbelievable. <laughs> One week he, I, 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 Miles, are you Chinese? Japanese. But you're a half something, half something. Half Japanese. And what's the other half? White. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. All right. It doesn't sound as good. Miles Davis, my white sound guy. It's just, I get a laugh because sometimes I say Miles Davis, my, my, my Chinese sound guy, and then you're like, I'm not Chinese, I'm half Japanese. I'm like, what, you, last time you told me you were fucking Persian? I don't know, you're half, all right, that's on the record now. All right, so that was my thing with Gandolfini. He, he was always, like he was neurotic, but quietly neurotic and like a goon, like a big, but a sweetheart. Sweetheart. So I, I had sweetheart. those couple of days with him, you know, working with him on, on, on True Romance, watching him. I was there the day he beat up Patricia Arquette right. in character. And that was an intense day. Um, and what do you remember? I mean, just specifically about Gandolfini, and what do you remember about being in one of the most iconic scenes in film of the last 30 years? And I could, you could really say that. Like, yo, that's a scene. Like, you say the Christopher Walken, Dennis Hopper scene, people know what the fuck you're talking about. It's an about. important scene. I get, I get little notices all the time. Hey, would you uh, sign off because they want to use it for some... Uh, you know, lecture at some school, you know, it's being used for theater classes and stuff. So, you know, or get a residual for it for $400 because it was used in some college somewhere or some symposium. I, but, I never got asked about any of my Dick Ritchie shit. <laughs> Ever. You so there's get, money in that shit? You didn't get all, yeah. No, fuck, like, no, you're talking about side money. Maybe I, maybe I had a little, little oh, Russian okay. thing under the table. But because uh, I, I played Luca, the Italian cousin who doesn't speak English. So I was, I kind of just, not consciously, but I was walking around not really listening, not understanding anybody because I didn't speak. Uh. So I was walking around, people were talking stuff, and I was like, 
kind of half not deaf, but I'm making you, like I'm in a foreign country. I don't understand what anybody's saying. Since since the number one true romance fan is asking you this question, do you regret that approach to that that time in your life and your career? That <laughs> no. sort of methodical acting and did uh, you did you? Because I mean, I, I would have been soaking that up. And fucking, I would have been doing the, talk well, about like a little side, I would have been doing the lecture circuit and whoring my out, myself out doing podcasts and, and stuff like that. You should do that. No, I'm just playing. Um, but, uh, no, I, I, What do you remember about the, the walking, the walking, um, hopper, you know, like the banter back and moment, forth? Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm telling you, I was sitting there going, you know, I don't know what's going on. You know, I just, cause I'm not understanding. Right, right. So I was just standing there going, you know, like. Just waiting for somebody to tell me to shoot something, you know, right. whatever. But then he tells me to go outside. So I wasn't in the scene for, for a third of it or however long. And then I come back in. Because he says, tell Luca to go outside and do the, you know what. Right, right, right. Which people ask me, I don't know what the fuck he was asking me to do. You know what, I don't know. Go look around. That's what I thought he was saying. But, but you know, it was, and, and I always thought, and I didn't know where I was. See, you'd been doing movies a lot more before. That was like Not much. First. I'd done like two or three before that, and then but that was that. But that roles. was like the shit, though. Yeah, but I didn't know that. I showed up, and I was like. Well, you just think that the fucking script with Quentin Tarantino and Christopher Walker, like it was just another day. No, well, he wasn't a big star yet. But I, you knew. Like, you done knew. Reservoir dude, Dogs. He had done Reservoir Dogs. Natural Born Killers had been shot. Right. It was Tony Scott. Mm-hmm. And, and, I mean, for me, it was like, I couldn't even believe I was in a room that Val Kilmer and Christopher Walken were even, like, I couldn't believe I was there, like, just for the audition. Wow. I was like, oh, shit, You're they're going to be in this movie? Mm-hmm. I was tripping the fuck out. I mean, that was crazy. <laughs> I didn't know any of that, because I had a little, I had a little meeting with, First, I went in and read for Gandolfini's part. Oh, wow. And I memorized that whole fucking scene. Not that I was going to get it, but that's the scene they gave me. It was two pages. And I remember or one of those scenes where he had a long monologue. Right. Going, I fucking memorized it. And then I get called literally a month later out of nowhere. As Tony Scott wants to meet with you. And he says, uh, I speak any Italian, mate. You know, whatever, like that. Australian guy, right? Rest in peace. Of and, course. Uh, and then uh, I had just done a pilot where I had to say a few things in Sicilian, you know. Whatever I was saying, I forgot what I said. And then he said, great, great, we'll call you, we'll call you Luca. And he just named me right there and then and basically offered it to me in the room. <laughs> that was cool. Mm. That is cool. He goes, great, Very you'll be cool. good in this. You know, we'll call you Luca. We'll call you, you know, he came up with it. And I was like, and I still didn't know, because it wasn't a big part, and I thought, Oh, this is cool. I, I wasn't that excited until 10 years later when everybody right. said this fucking movie is iconic. Still talking about it. Yeah, you know. I mean, I was into it, but I was, again, walking around, like, very new, very green. I hadn't done, you know, probably five other little smaller parts, so. It was a, it was a, it was a special set to be on, I, yeah. I remember, like... You had done Zebrahead. You had done some big I did Zebrahead, but it was like Zebrahead with me and actors who'd never done shit. So it wasn't like, oh, shit, there's the fucking guy who's playing my, you know. (laughs) It was a different level of excitement because it was like, oh, shit. But you were also more of a student and you knew who the players were. Yeah, yeah. But even like Michael Beach, I was like, yo, that's Michael Beach. Like, I knew Michael Beach. was in that. Everybody was in that movie. Even Sam Jackson. I remember like, why the fuck is Sam Jackson doing five lines in the... And I remember being, uh, I, I was in the makeup trailer, and Gary Oldman, who was playing Drexel, was asking me, because uh, he at the time I was, if you think I speak English poorly now, like this is like 94, I sounded like shit. <laughs> I was like, yo, yo, yo. I don't speak like that anymore, I've, I've matured. Yo, 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 motherfucking shit, yo, fucking intrude, man, it's a shit. Motherfucking playing Dick Ritchie and shit. You know how many motherfuckers I beat out for this part and shit? Fuck them motherfuckers. This is my in my head, my inner dog. I'm walking around like this. But then I walk into the trailer and Gary Oldman was there. And he was like when he was Gary Oldman. Not that he's not Gary Oldman now, but like this is like he was in his fucking prime. Yeah. And he was there, and I was just like, oh, I just couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe it. It was just a, a fun time, a fun movie. And uh, you know, met you, met Chris Penn, met Todd Sizemore, met Tony Scott. You know, every everybody it was just an exciting, exciting time. I mean, if if, if that would have been a you talk about an Instagrammable movie set to be on, like if you had a fucking like if you could like yo look at me in my picture with like you know there's James Gandolfini, yo this motherfucker's sick. Mm. 
I'm in the fucking car with Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette. What up, motherfucker? It's a romance. Hashtag. But you didn't know. American Giant sponsors the I Am Rappaport podcast. Go to American-Giant.com. Check it out. T-shirts, sweatshirts, American-made, American-manufactured. Really good quality. Soft, rugged, hoodies, sweatpants, all of it. AmericanGiant.com. American-Giant.com. The slogan for American Giant that we created is American Giant Clothing. Champion. Can't fuck with this shit, yo. <clears throat> My fantasy team lost tonight, by the way. Um, by the way, do you, do you want me to stay up here? Stay up here, yeah. Who else got any other questions bad, in general about Raging Bull? Money about right the there. wire. Money right there. How do you feel like this movie would play if it was released today to modern audiences in general? That's a good question. I mean, I'll let you, you could answer it, Paul. And I mean, if this movie came out today. now, imagine this movie comes out now and it's two hours and something minutes long. And it's, it's, it, it, it's not a up. cutty. It's Holds not a up. cutty. Masterpiece. Oh, yeah. But imagine if it came out now for the first time. Yeah. I'm just trying to think. This shit would be straight to video. No, that's, no. I was thinking that Yo, if it came out now. Couldn't. Yo, movies come out like this. Go ahead. You say what you said. We're going to debate. It's beyond that good. It's it's beyond like, yeah, there's some wonderful, interesting little indie type black and white movies that come out. Although that that one that won Best Picture, that silent movie a couple years ago that I really wasn't a fan of, you know, the black and white. The artist. We actually have the director, Philippe, come in. You weren't a fan of, you could talk to No. Was his name Philippe? He feels like his name. Remember that fucking guy during the Oscars? He was like, Philippe, he fucking show, like the Golden Globe. Sit the fuck down. Let me see your paperwork, you. What happened to that movie? Well. So, but I just think it's so, it's such a masterpiece. It's so good. It would still rise above, you know, whatever's out today, the Star Wars. I mean, it would, people would still find it and it would become like the King's Speech a couple of years ago. Right, it, right. It was that good. It became a right. blockbuster, you know. The, the, you know, the reality of it, when the movie actually did come out, it wasn't a financial success. It wasn't? No. No, I mean, I it was it 1980. Now it, I think it would be bigger then. It, it, got, it, got, it got bigger, but financially it wasn't. De Niro won Best, pick, uh, best Actor. Wow. But again, you know, uh, ordinary people beat it. I mean, the fact that it was nominated shows that the climate was different. But imagine in this day and age, this movie comes out in this politically correct climate, and you have your star uh, physically oh, abusing his, 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 his wife and... You know, and, and all that stuff. It, it wouldn't be. Imagine the fucking response. Imagine the imagine the response from, you know, the the the, the politically correct, you know, Williamsburg crowd. Mm-hmm. Not to say that it's, it should be any different, you know, because the abuse in the movie, like I said, once it gets to the physical abuse on the wife, it becomes like, oh shit, this isn't just fucking some crazy guy. This is like a, you know, it takes a step in the other direction. But I. The film, the film lasted the test of time. Like, like he says in the movie, you never got me down, Ray. Like, it, it ages like fucking fine wine. The beauty of it, the black and white of it, the performance of it, it ages. So I, I don't know. I mean, I just don't think that... Who would, how would you get this movie made now? It wouldn't be able to get made. You wouldn't be able to shut down production. Who would be an actor and a director tandem that would take... That would be like... That, that could afford the comforts of... Making a movie for a year and a half, I just, I just don't see it happen. I mean, and there's a lot, so many great things. It's just a different kind of movie. In two hours and twenty minutes, if nothing's blowing up, the theaters gonna be like, "Now nah, you got to cut that." And it's in black and white. What the right. fuck? <laughs> two hours and twenty minutes, something's got to blow up, or somebody's got to go to the moon. <laughs> Something, or there's got to be like a loaf shot. Something <laughs> fucking magnificent's got to happen. That might happen if it was out today. It, would be, it, may, it may have a, a, tougher, a tougher time being made. It definitely was a, a magical time. Every frame was like, almost like a magic trick. I saw, I was watching it tonight, I said, this is beyond art, you know, it's just... Beyond it. it really the, the, the thing that trips me out, and, and we could take more questions, the thing that trips me out about Raging Bull, and, and you know, obviously I, I've watched it and all that stuff, and you know, with the DVDs and the laser discs, 
And now even on the computers, you could look at it frame by frame and all this shit. And I know, like, it's really, like, because the film itself is shot pretty basic outside of the boxing ring. But some of those shots in the ring, the the camera revolves 360 and then it pans up. There's so much happening and you don't feel any of the cuts. And, of course, Scorsese was in sync with his his editor, Thelma Schoenmacher, maker... Um, and they were like, that was another relationship that was thriving. It wasn't just De Niro and Scorsese. It was Thelma and, 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 uh, and, and Scorsese. That was like something that they were in their fucking pocket. Um, so, I mean, and, and you know, uh, there's other great films. There's plenty of other great films to As celebrate. As a side note, uh, he was, Mr. Scorsese told me about going to Woodstock where he was an editor with Thelma on it, right? I think he was her yeah, assistant or something. Yeah. The movie Woodstock, the old rock and roll. They, and he was talking about being backstage with her and in the rain, and they couldn't get to their car for three days because, you know, the traffic jam. And he hung out backstage with Hendrix. And oh, shit. Mm. Claudia. Claudia took me to go see... Why would you take a 10-year-old to go see Raging Bull, <laughs> Claudia? Why? Because I was bored. Yeah, no, I know. I to see what would happen. Michael, did you know that Natasha's mother, that's my stepdaughter, uh, was going out with Martin Scorsese when they did Woodstock and, and, and all that shit? Yes, I did. Okay. That's, that's not a question, Claudia. Nothing? <laughs> that was a question. Statement. I did I know, know that. Yes, I did know. I did know. Okay. I grilled her, too. Okay. Oh, she's going to be at Christmas. So you oh, good. Okay. But what'd you get, Dad? No, I'm just. Uh, Some more. I'm gonna take two more questions, and then we're gonna shut it down. And uh, I'm gonna go uh, find out why my fantasy team lost. <laughs> fucked up. I lost. That fantasy football. It's like fucking drugs. It's terrible. Yeah, I, I, I feel for you. It's bullshit. It's very. I love it. I have a love-hate relationship with it. What? What's the question, my very friend? Sad, very sad. I'm on uh, G. Moody's favorite drink over there, so hopefully this isn't a stupid question, but you've talked about how great Raging Bull is. I just want to know how much, uh, how has it um, affected you as an actor or influenced you as an actor? Like, I, I don't know, you were 10 years old when you saw it. Did you know then you wanted to be an actor or like, later on when you knew, did it, how did it affect you? That's a good question. Um, I didn't know I wanted to be an actor. Like, when I, I, I remember just, first of all, I had been in love with Rocky and Rocky II, I believe, came out around the same period of this. So I'd love, that was why I believe my sister took me to the movie. And, like, and also, she's probably babysitting. She probably had to, she wanted to see it. And I remember seeing the movie. I mean, imagine seeing this as a 10 year old in a theater, not on a DVD where you could escape and go to the bathroom, <laughs> like as a movie going experience when movie going experiences were movie going experiences. It was like the whole day was scheduled around going to the movies. I just remember enjoying it on an emotional level, not understanding it at all. Um, you know, as far as personally, to be totally honest, you know, I feel like, and, and one of the people that I talked to on this podcast uh, that, that we're, we're doing tomorrow, I was, I was talking like why men look at this film, and it's not like it's the Lone Ranger, it's not Batman, and I don't think we put this Jake LaMotta character on a pedestal, but I have to believe to a certain extent <clears throat> that men are going to view this film differently and view this Jake LaMotta character different than a woman. And, and, and to answer your question, I was like, you know, like in asking, like, why, would I, why am I still talking about this movie? Why am I, why are we, why is it something that means so much to me? And, and, and more so than inspiring me as an actor, because I think that every actor watches this movie and, 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 and drools with just, you know, adoration and, and hopes, dreams and whimsical you know, things like you just wish you could have the part working with uh, and that great opportunity. But the thing about the character, his um, sort of self-sabotaging, his jealousy, his insecurities, in a weird way, I related to that more and before I really even knew what De Niro was doing. Um, that's not necessarily a good thing. But, but it's the reality of it, and I think that's why men, you know, while, while, while we respond to this movie differently than women, it's because we don't necessarily, like, we're not, like, admiring the Jake LaMotta character, but we can relate to it. You can relate to that, 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 that fucking bottom 
bear, you know, like sort of jealousy and that rawness and that insecurity. I think on your, on your, whether you want to admit it, but on your worst day, your best day, when you're, when you, maybe it's just to yourself when you're laying on a pillow, every man uh, has, has had those kinds of, you know, feelings. And I think that's what I related to more in a strange way. Um, and, and that's what I think is, is, I think for me, titillating um, to, to explore. I said titillating. <laughs> is that the right way to say it? Yeah. Fuck me. Alluring, alluring. You know, no, but the fact that I, I, I don't think I ever, I know for sure I never got a diploma in high school. I, I don't think they, I, because I owed books. And Martin Luther King High School, you know, you had to hand in your books. And I remember somehow I got into some fucking flunky college and, and they were like, we're not going to give you the diploma unless you pay the $63 for your books. And I wasn't going to go back to the fucking school. They might fucking arrest me for something. Who the fuck knows? This is, this is 98, you know? I mean, I was, I, was, <coughs> I, was, I was on the line. You know, anything could have happened. So the fact that I said titillating is just... It's a big thing. It's a big... It's an intellectual uh, expression. You're wearing glasses. I'm saying to the lady, like, we've grown since that fucking, fucking set, that true romance set. <laughs> so that, that to answer your question. But as an actor, like, there's no actor, director who's ever seen that movie or actress and not admired it. It might not be as, as like their favorite, favorite thing, but there's no actor that's not like, that's like, that's it. When you talk about method acting, when you talk about a performance by a male, that's it. When you talk about camera movement, direction, like, that's it. It might not be your favorite thing. You might, you know, go different comedy, but, like, you're going to go through that phase of, like, yo, look at fucking De Niro. <laughs> and I'll say this. I've worked with Robert De Niro twice. I've had dinner with him a couple of times and shit, and I've never mentioned Raging Bull to him. I knew better. Because he's fucking Robert De Niro. He doesn't want to hear this shit. But I was on a plane with him one time, and he happened to be sitting next to me. And I swear to God, I was like, you know, he was talking my fucking ear off to me. Mm. I'm on a plane. I'm doing this movie called Navy Diver. Men of Honor. It was the first title was Navy Diver. (laughs) We're shooting the movie. And, 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 uh... <clears throat> first class, you're sitting together. I'll tell you what happened. De Niro finished, everything. like, at 6 that night. We were, gonna, we were gonna go all night. They got him out so he could catch the last flight. So the, everything was scheduled. So, boom, De Niro raps. We shoot until 3.30 in the morning. Um, I catch the next, the next, fl- the first flight in the morning, which is, like, 6. I go from, from the set with my bags to the airport. And all I want to do is... Plane take off. I'm in first class. Plane take off. I want to go to sleep. I've been literally been up all night shooting a scene in the water. It's just like I just want the plane to take off. And I'm and I'm 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 like, it's a small first class, but it's first class, and I'm just just take this fucking thing off. I want to go to sleep and I want to get back to New York. And as the plane is, you know, you know, the gear belting down and they're starting, you know, I see somebody, I'm like, oh shit, that looks like Bob. And I'm like, oh, shit, that is Bob. And I had already noticed that no one was sitting next to me. So I was like, I'm going to get a fuck it. I'm in first class and I got two seats. I'm, this is going to be a great flight. And I'm like, you know, like my adrenaline, I'm 29. Like my adrenaline is like, oh, fuck, De Niro's going to come sit next to me on. The, and I had already been working with him the night before. So he sits down next to me. Hey, Mike, you know, and he would greet me. I swear to God, I'm not bullshitting. You're probably like, this is bullshit. But he would greet me with like a, like a, like a little kiss on the cheek. Wow. So I'm just like, the fact that that's happening, you talk about like you Scorsese. Never told me that. Yo, I'm tripping the fuck out. Wow. Wow. So I'm sitting next to De Niro the whole time, and, and I swear I'm saying to myself, don't fucking talk to him. Don't say fucking Jake LaMotta. Don't say Raging Bull. Don't he mention Goodfellow. Don't Travis. No, he would have fucking, it would have been the beginning of the end. He doesn't want to talk about that shit. You imagine being up. So so he, he, he missed his flight. So I'm reading Vibe magazine. You read something sitting next to him? Well, I have my magazines. I'm so freaked out that he, he's talking to me. And all he wants to do, Vibe magazine is a magazine in the 90s. You know, it's like a hip-hop magazine. It's girls in... And I say this with all due respect. All he wanted to talk to me about, who's that girl? Who's that girl? And I'm like... And I'm like, he's like, you know her? I'm like, I don't fucking... She's in a Clairol ad, but I don't know the fuck this is. In my head, I'm saying this. So then I get off the plane. So this goes on. He's totally sweet. I'm about to have my first son. He's talking to me about being a parent and blah, blah, blah. And it's just very sort of casual. But he's talking. I want to go to sleep. I'm going to shut the fuck up, Bob, will you? 
Just shut the fuck up. I want to go to sleep. Enough already. I'm now I'm reading Sports Illustrated. I don't know who she is. Serena somebody. I don't know. Just fucking stop. You know, in my head I'm saying this, but I'm like, I'm like a puppy really dog. talking to We're you We're bullshitting, but nice, sweet. I want to do De Niro Festival. Yeah. And like, you get people to show up. Like, you could come in any fucking costume you want. And then like, I wanted, I, my dream is to get like little kids to work, do the Joe Pesci. Fuck who? De Niro stuff. You fuck my wife, but like have nine-year-olds do it. <laughs> Imagine that? Like, you get like some nine-year-old kid. I'm asking you, I'm going to ask you to answer all the right questions. You're not going to answer the right way. I think it would be great. <laughs> so, they, so then we get off the plane. He has like one garment bag. And as soon as we get off the plane, the person who is supposed to be there for him isn't there. So now I'm like, I, I said to him, I said, I'll walk you, Bob. I got you. Because I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to protect my fucking guy. I love this fucking guy. It's like Dr. J, Muhammad Ali, fucking... Fucking Tony Monero, Robert De Niro. I'm like, I'm gonna, f- I'm gonna, I get his bag. You know, he's not that big. We're walking through the airport. I'm like, we're gonna find him. Don't worry, you know. And, he, and we're walking through, and I'm like, think I'm gonna shield everybody from Robert De Niro. I don't want anyone fucking with him because I know he doesn't want to be fucked with. And the only people that they want to talk to through the airport is me. No one recognized Robert De Niro one time. Mm, wow. Th- that's the magic of him because in real life, he sort of disappears. All right, this can be the last question, then we're gonna shut it down. Uh, well, first of all, uh, this experience, meeting Michael Rappaport, uh, thanks to my friend Jordan, the producer, uh, told me to come out. I'm going to tell the story you just told about De Niro about while standing there watching you do De Niro as Michael Rappaport. So that was pretty dope. So thanks. Oh, shit. Thank yeah. you, man. Um, but based on the movie, this is the first time I ever saw it. First time watching it. So wow. one thing that stands out is that movies a lot of times nowadays or even TV shows, they really hit you over the head with like, here is the point. Here's where you're supposed to pay attention. Here's where the music cues up. You know what I'm saying? And in that movie, if you watch it, there's just a, like, shit happens. Right. And you kind of are like, what the, f- why? Like, what is going on? You're just watching it trying to figure out this character. So if you were showing it to someone for the first time, what would, like, do you think some of that now, like for a kid who's 15, who everything has been babied for them, explaining, you know, themes, when they're supposed to be upset, when they're supposed to be scared, do you think that's more powerful or now that kids would just totally miss it? I think they'd miss it. To, the kids would miss it today, but I still think a, a, a little bit more grown-up, mature audience would still consider it a masterpiece. You know what's interesting? When, when I, because my kids have heard me talk about that movie, and then a couple of years ago I was watching, or it was on TV, and we were like flipping through, and a couple of scenes were on, and, and, and I remember my kids, they were probably like 11 and 13. They, they got it. The same way I got, like, they were asking me questions. Well, why is he doing this? Is that real? Is he real? Did he really, you know, but there was something that drew, drew them in about it. And that's why I think it was about me. Like, I, they didn't. Well, they're you know, still different. The sons of an actor. And that's a writer, true. You know. That's true. But, 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 there, but I, I could tell they were, there was something, I think, again, like, there's, it's more that movie. It's because things don't, there's not big plot points. Nothing truly happens. You know, like, I mean, there things happen, but. It's more of a feeling, like it's like a feeling, like more than anything. I think he created a mood, those quiet moments, you know, the looks, the, the, the subtle slow motion. You're creating this mood, this tension, this, this, this uh, neuroses, you know, that slow motion that he was doing. It's creating this, you know, it influenced people and you see Scorsese's influence. Uh, influences like Ilya Kazan and you know I could tell you uh, I'm probably the only person uh, who has uh, because this is just where I'm at in my life who has the Raging Bull laser disc and the laser disc for some reason when it was put on DVD the the extra shit wasn't put on the DVD and you know like I I learned from the laser disc uh, uh, you know if you look at On the Waterfront when Marlon Brando was on the the the, uh, the roof with what's her name Eva Marie Saint, mm-hmm. is that her name yes, Claudia? Yes. You know, and they're up there with and, the and with the pigeons and the, and the fence. Yeah. That's where he got the idea for when you know when he meets. When he puts Vicky, his fingers through the thing. That's where he got. Yeah, he wanted that. Like they. Wow. Yes. I mean, mm. so you feel other people's influence and and it all just and he but he, he what's not stealing he made it his own. Of course. Um, I don't know what else to say. Uh. I think this is uh, this is this has been a great podcast. I appreciate you coming up here. I like it when you can you just put your glasses on because it's hard to it's better for everybody. See, yeah, <laughs> um, no, but uh, I, I appreciate you guys coming. 
Um, you know, I'm glad you, uh, you you got to see the film. Um, I, 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 you know, me, me and G Monetti, um, again, G, pipe down, it's my fucking show, because you're just chiming in. Taking a break. Watching um, you do your thing. But I, I appreciate everybody coming. I hope you enjoyed yourself. Nice and, you know, we, we, you know, if you guys want, the, not the friends of mine who I know by first name basis, we do have soft-ass I Am Rapport podcast t-shirts for, for, for the wow. fans and people I'm not on a first name basis with. <laughs> and thanks for coming, you guys. You can yes, turn yes. on the music, Miles. Yeah.